0: Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis and I'm here with my husband, co-host Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode you have learned something, or at least, if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Gonna Eat Your Fat? I'm Dina.
1: And I'm Brian.
0: Welcome back to The Co-Host.
1: Thank you. Thank you. For you professional podcasters out there, when you have a trouble with your microphone, don't immediately think it's the computer. Don't immediately think it's the microphone. Check the cord. I mean, duh. So there's your professional podcasting tip from Brian.
0: Well, we're glad you're back. In today's episode, I was going to talk about eating disorders and trauma. I talked a little bit in the beginning about some of the trauma I faced with my eating disorder. My trauma was related to my father not being really a part of my life, and the death of my brother. But I just want to talk about it. It's easy to focus on the physical body of an individual with an eating disorder. We think if we make them eat or we can get them to start eating, they're going to feel better, but nothing could be farther from the truth.
1: Yeah, you know how many times I heard just to have her eat? Or your uncle, remember your uncle said, give her uh, bananas and beer. That's how I gained weight in college. I mean, everybody's got some sort of, oh, if here's the answer. Well, yeah, if, that, if it was easy as that, we'd do it. Wouldn't we knuckleheads?
0: You know, my family was very focused on my appearance. And it wasn't too difficult to notice my appearance because I was a 57-pound woman that looked like I was, either I had cancer or I was about ready to die. So yes, that was apparent. But it seemed to me at the time, and this is my experience, and this is what I'm taking from it, kind of used a fear approach in hopes that I would change my condition and I guess it would be considered kind of a shock factor. But it kind of, it did the absolute opposite. It made me angry because I never felt like I could say how I was feeling at the time. It drove me deeper into my disease because I would get to that um, feeling of, well, if You know, if this is how you're going to treat me, then I'm just going to show you and I'm going to lose 10 pounds, which, yes, it was hurting them, but ultimately it was killing me.
1: And I remember those, I guess they were interventions or attempted, but it was more talking at us and what are you going to do to fix this? You know, all of which just kind of makes you feel bad. So I don't have anywhere to put these feelings. I'm going to take it out on me and restrict
0: Well, yeah, and it was constantly, look what you're doing. We're going through this again. I can't believe we're going through this again. What are you going to do different? We're not going to enable you. We're not going to be like a codependent alcoholic um, husband or whatever that is and sit here and be with you. But the fact was they would say those things, but they wouldn't follow through with them. So, you know, if you're going to say something and you're going to say something to me like, we're not going to do this until you do this, then follow through with that, just like with your children and when you give them a punishment. But they didn't. They always had something to say. They were always angry, and there was many tears, and it wasn't just, you know, my parents were tearing up, but then I was tearing up as well, and I was feeling confronted at the time because did I want to get better? Yes, but I didn't remember what it felt like to get better anymore. And there was a huge fear because I had to go somewhere where I knew no one I was by myself. Well, I wasn't by myself, but I mean, I didn't have anybody there that I knew that I could console in and I had to change my whole self. And that was fearful because it was the unknown.
1: And those family meetings were usually like, well, you're just going to have to get better. It wasn't like a, a typical intervention where you already have the place lined up, you have somebody helping you and you say, here's what I've seen. Here's how you've affected me. And if you don't get treatment, you know, here's the consequence. It was nothing like that. It was merely just like, well, you know, we don't see you for a while. And then when you see you, you look terrible and you have to do something. So go do something. It was more being talked at than talked with. And I don't know that even at that point, if you were ready to have a conversation with anybody about,
0: no.
1: you know, your, your sickness. And I think that was why it was so unsuccessful.
0: Yeah, I mean, they wanted to fix me, and I understood that. Um, You know, I would have liked to have fixed me as well. But when you're looking at an eating disorder, people think it's all about the food, which it's not, even though that's what you're using as, like, a comfort and as a mechanism to deal with what you're coping with at the time. But it's really, you're dealing with a mental illness that has physical symptoms, and the physical symptoms are what's killing you. But I don't think people understand that. They just think, well, you know, a lot of people, well, I don't want to say this because there are people that are in AA and I totally support AA completely, but there's not really a connection between OA and AA. And I've been to enough AA meetings where they don't let me stay there because they don't think I have a problem. Um, But that's not true. Even though eating disorders revolve around food and weight, there's a deeper root cause that has to be identified before you can go into recovery or not go, not before you can go into recovery, but before you can reach recovery, I think. Um, and that's when I've seen many people come into recovery and they stay there till they detox. And then when they start to feel something, they take off because they don't want to feel that, the feelings. And, um, and I didn't either. And I didn't know what those feelings were at the time. But that's when real recovery, I think, begins when you can get deep under there and you've detoxed and you can really feel the emotions that you're going through.
1: It's like that show we were watching and the character is sitting in a sort of an AA meeting, but not AA. And the character is sick and tired of coming to these meetings and not seeing any progress because when they feel those feelings they fall into their disease again and that's really the point is that the feelings we have to deal with the feelings and we have to um channel them in a healthy way
0: exactly like even i mean i knew i was dying i knew it but the fear of death didn't scare me enough for me to reach out for help or to get into recovery for treatment or anything like that i think what eventually made me make that decision to go into treatment was the rat race that was going on in my head. I just couldn't keep up with it any longer. I was physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. i just I couldn't do it anymore, and it was really my only out, and I think in a way, I wanted to get away from my family because my family stressed me out even more in a way, getting married was probably a really good thing because. Even though my disease got worse at that time, I think I could approach Brian at the time and he could be less emotional about it. He could listen to me and take a different approach rather than an approach of anger. Um, And he would really listen whether he wanted to or not.
1: Well, first of all, I want to back up to something that you said, and that was there was a lot of fear surrounding Hey, you have to get treatment. You have to get help. And if we think about how how fear operates in our life, fear paralyzes us. Well, paralyzes us or makes us run. So if you're trying to fear somebody into getting treatment, that's not really going to be successful. And it wasn't in our case. Now, what was the other thing I was getting? The other brilliant idea I had. Oh, so you were also talking about the root pause and i spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was the root cause what thing happened that caused this behavior and if we could just get to that thing then we'd have some resolution and you know as you started getting treatment and i started started getting a better understanding of not only what addiction is but how your disease operates i found that you know abandon that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the root cause is it doesn't matter really what the trauma is to go back to your to your main um point here it doesn't matter what the trauma is the fact is that their trauma exists and we've never addressed the trauma we've just gone over it and let time heal it and i think that's a big fallacy that we have is somehow time heals all wounds. I give people this analogy sometimes. Like if you're if you fell out of a building when you were three and you broke your leg and you just said time will heal it. You never sought medical, uh, you know, you never saw a doctor for it. You never got any help for it. It's gonna heal, but you're gonna walk funny. And the same I think is true with our emotional development. If we had something traumatic happen when we were Developing emotionally, that's gonna send us down a path. And if we don't get treatment for that, if we don't talk about it with somebody who's a professional that can help us deal with that, then I think we just go off into some of these areas of, you know, I'm going to self-medicate by this addiction. And I think to a large extent, that's really what we're talking about with addiction is self-medicating your own mental health.
0: No, I agree. I think everyone can go into recovery and can be, if you want to put recovered, which I, I'm i not believing in recovered, but I'll just say it. Everyone can be recovered, but not everyone will. And I experienced that a lot in treatment because, for one— after I left treatment, they, doctors had asked me if I would start, if I would talk to some parents and some families, and the families uh, would sometimes call me, and, and the main question was, what can we do? And how, what, how can we get her in there? And will she be, will it work? And I really didn't ever have that kind of answer that I could give them 100% because it was really, I don't know. You have to hit rock bottom. Whatever rock bottom is for you is different for everyone. And sometimes you think you hit rock bottom, but that's not completely bottom yet. And I saw girls that had come into treatment at 14 years old that this was sometimes their sixth and seventh stay. And they were there because their parents could put them there and they had to stay there, but that didn't mean they worked the program. I saw other girls that came in kicking and screaming, but then caught on and started doing really well in the program.
1: I I would see my wife only on you know Saturday and Sunday. Or come up would I come up Friday and then spend say hey Friday or was I don't
0: know. Yeah, I think you were there
1: Saturday for sure. Maybe Saturday all day for sure and a little bit on Sunday and then I had to leave. And so I didn't spend every day with them and I'd see these patients, I could see the anger and the frustration on their faces and I would Say to myself, you know, that person just doesn't have it. That person doesn't have it, and then all of a sudden, I'd see this change on somebody's attitude where they were just softer and more at peace. And I would look at that person and go, "That person's got it. That person knows, and that person's on the road to recovery." But it's, it was just strange to me. What I could just really see the the anger and the frustration. Of and really, that are disease talking, I guess, from you know seeing them every week,,
0: even though I dealt with the trauma of my dad, even though my dad had come to treatment and was there was a a family weekend kind of thing where all the patients one Saturday would have their parents there, and then everybody would sit around in a circle and and we'd talk through things, and people'd get feedback and my dad showed up, but he really couldn't take. Ownership or responsibility for what my feelings or what, what our relationship was and how he participated in that.
1: It was so painful. I remember just sitting there and really the acknowledgement that it, he, just, he just had to acknowledge that maybe he wasn't the best father. And I know that's tough to say and tough to hear and tough to take in, but at some point you have to acknowledge That I gave my time to other things, and I didn't give my time to my family, and maybe I should. And it was so painful to just watch him deny that and just go, nope, I'm not going to do it. Nope, I'm not going to say it. And, well, if that's your interpretation, then, you know, that's your interpretation. But, and just erase everything with a but, it was just, oh, it's just so frustrating when he was there.
0: And it wasn't like he was saying it a mean-heartedly kind of way. No, it no, was he's like, a
1: wonderful man. I mean, I'm I'm not disparaging him in any way.
0: No, but it, it hurt me more because he couldn't even grasp it. He couldn't even, he'd look at me and I'd be crying and he, there'd be no emotion there. It would be like looking into his eyes and there was nothing there. That caused me, I think as a little girl, so much shame and so much powerlessness, especially as a child, and a lot of guilt, because I knew that he was around when my brothers were younger. And then once I was born, he wasn't around. So all I could see was, well, it was because of me. If I hadn't been born, maybe he you know, would be more involved. Which is
1: what any child would say. Any child would say, well, maybe it's me.
0: I know that's wrong, but that's what it felt like. I remember graduating from the sixth grade, and... My dad and my brother were late to my graduation and my mom was fuming and it was just something simple like that, that if he just made me a priority one time, maybe some of this wouldn't have happened. I don't know. And the thing with my brother, I think a lot of it had to do as I was 20 years old, 1920 years old, and I wanted to help and I couldn't. And I didn't feel like I had a role to play. I just watched my brother die. And um, I just, I miss him so much. But what I feel recovery has taught me, and I'm hoping that it can teach you guys too, is that it provided me with a, like, to build some time of life raft that I can, that keeps me afloat during really either destructive times or hard times, difficult times in my life, that I know on that, that life raft I have certain things that I can, that I can reach out and they can help me through those times. One of them is Brian. One of them is dear friends. One of them is journaling. One of them is picking up a phone. Sometimes it's just taking a moment to myself and pausing everything, slowing everything down, taking a bath, whatever that that is. But I, if it wasn't for Monica Tini, I'm telling you, I know that I work the program. But if it wasn't for them then I wouldn't be here. And that's not a joke.
1: And I would agree with that, too, because they were the first place we went to that really understood what an eating disorder was. And we had looked everywhere for somebody that had that understanding and just didn't exist. And to kind of circle back to what Dina was saying, in our lives, I think sometimes we have these needs and we ask our loved ones, hey, can you provide this for me? I need this. And oftentimes, if you're If you're lucky enough to recognize that that's a need and you're able enough to say this is what I need, a lot of times your your loved one will say, okay, I can do that for you and let me provide that for you. But where your loved one can't, you have to mourn that. And I think that's what you're hearing with Dina is that she's mourning the fact that she didn't get what she needed from her dad. That's a sad thing, but you recognize that you have this need. And maybe you can satisfy it through someone else, somewhere else. And if you can't, then the ultimate thing is to just go, it's, it's just not going to happen. I'm just not going to get this need met, mourn it, and look for ways that you can show other people that you can fulfill that need that you didn't get. And I think that's the ultimate service.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're going to end this podcast, but I want to thank you all for all that you do and that we do have a website up and running now. It's areyougonnaeatyourfat.com.
1: Are you going to eat your fat?
0: Are you going (laughs) to eat your fat? Send us some questions that you want to hear about us.
1: fat at gmail.com.
0: Let us know how we can help the most.
1: We have a Patreon, but that's on my to-do list of things to fix. But please be patient with us. Please share this with other people. The more we grow this podcast, the more people we can help, and the more we can fulfill our mission of helping.
0: I think that's it. I think we'll end with serenity prayer. God, God,
1: grant me the serenity serenity to to accept the things I cannot change, change. the courage to change change the things things I can, and and the the wisdom wisdom to know the the difference. difference. Keep, Keep coming, coming back. back. It works when you, you work. work it, it, so work, work it. it. You're, You're worth, worth it.
0: it. <laughs> Take care. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it, you are worth it.